Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Listen to amazing and bizarre science bootstrap your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. On this edition, from the Singularity Summit Australia, we'll feature the amazing Stellark and Colin Hale's artificial brains. But first up, here's the news with Therese Chen. Controversy has rocked the physics world with physicists reporting that they have recorded subatomic particles travelling faster than the speed of light. In a collaborative study between the European Centre for Nuclear Research, CERN, and a laboratory in Italy, the physicists created a beam of neutrinos, and it appears that they arrived at their destination in the Italy Gran Sasso laboratory 60 nanoseconds earlier than light. These findings were met with much scepticism since, under Einstein's special theory of relativity, an object would require an infinite amount of energy to reach the speed of light. And so it has always been assumed that the speed of light was something that could not be reached or surpassed by objects with a definite rest mass. With the possibility that the results would be, could be due to a measurement error, numerous scientists are hoping that more independent testing is conducted At present, only the facilities at MINOS in the United States and T2K in Japan are capable of doing this. Researchers from the United States have bred genetically modified cats that fluoresce when shone on a light of particular frequencies in the hopes of protecting cats and potentially humans from immunodeficiency viruses. The research from Mayo Clinic achieved this by using a lentivirus to carry the, the gene green fluorescent protein originating from jellyfish, as well as the, the gene TRIM-CYP, a gene that codes restriction for both HIV-1 and the fem- feline equivalent into a feline egg cell. The egg was then fertilized and carried to term. The fluorescent protein functioned as an indicator as to whether the transfer of genes was successful. Initial tests of the white blood cultures showed resistance to the feline immunodeficiency virus. However, how the cats themselves would respond to exposure to the virus remains unknown. So, Therese, that's really interesting, the news from CERN. Mm -hmm. So they've done a very straightforward experiment there with the neutrinos arriving before the light arrives. And in fact, it's going eight kilometers per second faster. So 60 nanoseconds is actually quite a bit. And I've read that the team have shared not only the paper, but all of their data online so that anyone in the world can go over what they've done and try and find something wrong with the method or their statistical analysis. And so far, everyone's had to admit that they've been totally meticulous and everything's exactly right. The only criticisms I've seen really are that it can't be true rather than they've done something wrong. So if... Or it must be an instrument error. But Mm. if you can't find the instrument error 
and you can't find the mistake in the arithmetic and the statistics, then you kind of have to accept that until somebody, whether that's the American team or the Japanese team or another European team, reproduce the results, which could take up to a year, I'm told, for them to prepare everything, then we just have to reserve judgment and say it might be true. Well, I think we'll get some new physics out of this. Mm -hmm. A glow-in-the-dark cat will glow when you turn the lights out. Mm -hmm. A fluorescent cat will glow if you turn on an ultraviolet lamp. I think based on what I've read that it, th these cats don't glow in the dark, they actually fluoresce. So the scientists actually have to shine. A, I'm assuming it's a UV light, yes. but they didn't specify. So Okay, so basically the cats could go out at night and be totally normal cats, and it's only when they go into nightclubs that they'll shine. Yes. Colin Hales is a researcher at the Centre for Neural Engineering at the University of Melbourne who wants to build artificial brains by replicating how biological brains work. He spoke to me in the noisy corridors of the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology, which were buzzing with the excitement of the Singularity Summit Australia. I'm an engineer who has become a recent convert to a, become a neuroscientist and my passion is in artificial general intelligence and uh, I'm using my part-time work to spend the rest of the time pursuing my artificial general intelligence ideas at the Centre for Neural Engineering and I am what they call a, a, a wannabe brain builder and the idea is that I'm going to build a different kind of brain uh, based on the ideas that I had about 10 years ago. And I'm just at the point now where I can start to pursue those ideas and start to build things. So, from your ideas of how the brain works, how does the brain work? Okay. Well, that's recently changed a little bit. Um, and that's a, a lot of what my PhD thesis was about. The brain has two major things going on from a functional point of view. It has little pulses that we all know of called action potentials. And lesser known, it has a large system of electromagnetic fields. And the fields have largely been ignored uh, in their functional role. They were more or less there as a measurement that did nothing. So they had no actual causal mechanism. And they've always been there, but recently they've finally found that they actually change the dynamics of the brains. In other words, the action potentials generate the fields, and the fields then feed back and change the action potentials. So, for the listeners, the action potentials, is that the movement of electrically charged molecules in the brain? Yes, it's a propagating wave of activity in the brain, which everyone's probably heard the word axon. Uh, the little signals that travel down the axon, which you see in animations, usually a little spark going along. So they connect the neurons? They interconnect neurons with each other, and in the cortex, there's about 10,000 connections uh, between every neuron and every other neuron. It's a massively interconnected system. And all the action potentials travel around that network. But in parallel with that, you have another new, recently um, confirmed 
signalling mechanism in electromagnetism which is generated by the action potentials and influences by line of sight directly across the tissue to its near neighbours. In that way it directly impacts the uh, flow of the action potentials. It's a mechanism which has only been uh, described in the lab in the last two years. So there's neural networks that people will have heard about and will have seen on TV that used to be the only way people thought that the brain communicated and you're saying in addition to the signal along the axon there's an electromagnetic signal that goes to nearby cells. Yeah. So if you can imagine the action potential going along the cells, the electromagnetic influence goes at right angles to that directly, literally in space. The modulation travels longitudinally down along the membrane of the cells, normal action potential, and the electromagnetic signal that's generated by it is propagated uh, at 90 degrees to that. Back when I did my first year physics, that sounds a bit like the right hand. Uh, well, Maxwell's equa equations play a big role in it, and the right hand rule is right in the middle of it all. So the electric field goes along the wire, and actually the magnetic field goes around it. And if you use your right hand and put your fingers around the wire, the thumb points where the um, electric field goes and your fingers show you where the magnetic field goes. So uh, that's the right hand rule. But orthogonal and uh, transverse and longitudinal wave propagation is a very old concept in physics. And it's so in the brain. When you say nearby, how far do these electromagnetic waves travel to the cells? As from simulations, as far as we can tell, a single neuron can express a, a very nice structure in space extending over about a millimetre. About a millimetre. And within that millimetre there are about 50,000 neighbouring cells. Wow. So, that's so if you can imagine 50,000 synchronised neurons all generating their own fields in space, you can imagine the traffic that's going between them line of sight uh, is significantly adding to the traffic which is going around through the action potentials. And those two traffics, if you like, that's a word, um, form the entire system, not just the action potentials. And so that's the change which I'm trying to raise awareness of in my work. On the one hand, I guess there must be medical implications. Yeah, well, uh, my work, what I want to do is build tissue replicant. There is an inorganic version of brain tissue which expresses action potentials and expresses the, the electromagnetic fields of the action potentials in the same way, exactly the same way. And the health implications for that are in um, uh, tissue regeneration and also um, repair. You could actually replace bits of def defective tissue with the chips by literally putting them in because the chips themselves have, they literally do what brain material does. You know, there's no modelling, no simulation. They actually signal each other in exactly the same way. So these will be artificial brain cells? Uh, artificial... Brain tissue? Artificial tissue is a better word for it. Yeah, collections of cells operating as a single unit and expressing fields in the way, you know, in a sort of layered, a uh, single layer of a cortex is a good way of thinking of it. So people with brain damage may be able to have it repaired with these units? Yes, it could literally replace them. The chips that are implanted would be different to the chips that you would use in an artificial brain, in a robot, but the basic idea is the same and the manufacturing process would be the same. Could you perhaps 
build an artificial brain using this artificial that's brain tissue? what I want to do. You can then. Yeah. Okay, perhaps. That's why I'm doing this. Right. I, I have no other... The, uh, to me, I'm really interested in robots, so... Uh, I want to build the, the brains, and the collateral uh, implication is that I can actually do something about health, which is kind of nice. That's awesome. Yeah. So this is a new take on artificial brains because most artificial brains that I've read about are either based on well traditional computers, you know, Turing-based digital computers, or neural networks, or field programmable gate arrays with uh, evolutionary genetic algorithms or something like that. So there's all these traditional things, and this is completely new as far as I know. Yeah, and I was quite surprised because I, I was independently thinking about this, and I said, okay, well, if you do that, then this will possibly be a brain, all right, who out there is doing it? And so I go and I look, and I can't find anyone. And it's not like, uh, I mean, there is nobody, zero in the world, that, and that was in 2002, and yes. today in 2011, it's the same, zero. So what's your timescale for building this artificial brain tissue? Um, around five years we should have something miniaturised to the point where we can put it in some kind of artefact that will behave and learn like biology learns in a little environment. Um, that's my goal. I start building stuff, macroscopic versions, right now, in the next few months. Well, there's one, I mean, from a message point of view, here at the Singularity Summit, uh, the pervasive views are, are presupposing the, that, that computing is somehow involved in the singularity. And uh, I'm here to say that that may actually turn out to be wrong. Not that there's no singularity, it's just that it's got nothing to do with actual computers. But more artificial brains? More computers will be simulating things, or emulating things, or mimicking things. What these chips will do is replicate, which means literally replicate. The, the easiest way to understand my approach is that these artificial chips will contribute to a brain cognition, artificial cognition, in the same way that artificial light is light, and artificial fire is fire, and artificial flight flies, uh, and artificial cognition will cognize. And, and uh, my approach is to literally duplicate what's going on in the brain and not to model it at all and uh, hopefully that will at least add another um, um, arrow to the quiver of um, approaches to AI and I'm very hopeful. Well, Colin Hales, thank you very much. Pleasure. That was Colin Hales, focusing on the large complex magnetic fields produced when a neuron fires in biological brains in order to build artificial brains. His artificial brain will be used for healing brain-damaged people and making smart robots. Colin Hales also works for the Bionic Vision Project at the University of Melbourne. He was speaking at the Singularity Summit Australia on the idea of artificial general intelligence, which is an artificial intelligence which, like human intelligence, can deal with any situation instead of only having expertise in a very narrow task. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send email to diffusion at 2SCR.com. Brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network, into Sydney on 2SCR, and over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. 
I am the very model of a singularitarian. I'm combination transhuman and modalistic trophy. And aggressively, I'm changing all my body's biochemistry because my body's heritage is altered genetically. Replacing all the cells these bunches here just temporarily. The pattern of my brain and body's weather's continuity. I'll try to improve these patterns with optimal biology. But how will I do that? I need to be smarter. Ah, yes. I'll expand my mental faculties by merging with technology. Expand his mental faculties by merging with technology. And with a new technology, renewable clean energy, remove our pathogens and overcome hunger and poverty. In short, I am a transhuman, modalist extropian. I am the very model of a singularitarian. In short, he is a transhuman, modalist extropian. He is the very model of a singularitarian. And that was Singularitarian by Charlie Cam. Stelloc is a performance artist at the University of Western Sydney and Brunel University in London. He's had a third hand, an extended arm, an extra ear, a prosthetic head, and a six-legged robot body. He's had his body remotely controlled over the internet. Stelloc spoke to me at the Singularity Summit in the grounds of the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. Well, most of these projects and performances explore alternate anatomical architectures. Uh, what's it like to perform with a, a third hand, an extended arm, walk with a six-legged a robot, have an extra ear on your arm? <laughs> and you've actually done and built all these things. Well, certainly these uh, performances enable the artist to directly experience the mechanism and uh, in, 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 in experiencing it, uh, thereby being able to meaningfully articulate about uh, that experience. And we're here at the Singularity Summit. <laughs> And a lot of people would think a lot of what you're doing, I mean, you're modifying yourself, you're going through very new experiences, you had an extra arm, an extra ear, all sorts of things. What does the singularity mean to you? Well, I think it should be a highly contestable idea. <laughs> I don't think anything happens uh, through sheer necessity. Being sort of human, uh, contingency is always going to play a part, as well as, of course, uh, catastrophes and other unexpected uh, future events or, or developments in technology. So the singularity is an interesting concept, the idea of um, increasing acceleration and speed and power and precision of our technologies, uh, leading to a point, perhaps, of, of, a, of a super intelligence or, or robot systems that might re even replace human bodies. Uh, but I think it's going to be a situation of, of unexpected outcomes. I mean, for example, the increasing miniaturization of technology might mean, as one contestable future, that all technology uh, will be invisible because it'll be inside us. <laughs> so we may not change at all in appearance, but the micro robots, the nano sensors, uh, will be inhabiting the inside of the human body. And can you explain for the listeners about your ear, your extra ear? Well, at the moment, there's a, a relief of an ear on my uh, left arm. Uh, this has uh, been surgically constructed and cell-grown. So through a process of stretching the skin and then inserting a, a porous uh, material called MedPore, 
this encourages cell growth into the uh, scaffold construct. Uh, after six months you have tissue ingrowth and vascularization occurring so at present time the ear is fused to my arm and uh, it has its own blood supply. We still have to lift the helix to create an ear flap, we have to grow a soft ear lobe using my adult stem cells. But when the 3D ear is, is completed then we'll reinsert a small microphone into the ear connected to a wireless transmitter so in any Wi-Fi hotspot uh, the ear becomes internet enabled <laughs> so if you're here in Melbourne and I'm in London you'll be able to listen in to what my ear is hearing there That's amazing <laughs> and could you give us a, a short description of the project where people remotely controlled your body over the internet well in fact uh, that was uh, that project uh, begins in 1996 uh, at a, uh, an event called Telepolis, it was titled Fractal Flesh and uh, I was in Luxembourg, people in the Pompidou Centre in Paris, the Media Lab in Helsinki, the Doors of Perception Conference in Amsterdam for example were able through a touchscreen interface they were able to uh, remotely access and remotely activate my body elsewhere. Um, I had a head-up display, I could see the face of the person moving me, mm -hmm. so there was a kind of an intimacy without proximity, an intimacy without uh, skin contact, and this was a performance that went over uh, two days uh, to allow for, for uh, you know, the overlapping sort of uh, uh, locations and, and, and events that were occurring that were connected to this performance. It was very strange to watch more than half of your body move involuntarily you had not desired to move in that way nor had you yourself uh, contracted your muscles to do so this was done by people in other places and it was done uh, via a, a touchscreen muscle stimulation system computer programmed and there was another performance called ping body where instead of people in other places remotely activating the body it was using the ping protocol, pinging 40 global locations and the re reverberating ping signals were mapped to the body's muscles um, and so the body became a kind of barometer of internet activity. My body was more actively moving, it indicated simply that there was more activity occurring in that particular global location. And then the parasite performance was where we uh, uh, engineered a, a customized search engine uh, that scans the, the net for the duration of the performance. It finds images of the body or arms or legs or, or and those images then are analyzed and it's the image analysis that results in uh, the involuntary movements of the body or in other words the image that I was seeing through this internet search um, is the image that's moving me. So we, we've gone from the face of the person moving me to uh, an image harvested on the net that moves the body in some way. That's extraordinary. You built an extra arm? Oh, uh, well it's uh, an extended arm. Well, there, there were two projects. Uh, the third hand, which is third in hand. fact completed in 1980. That was the first sort of major project I guess I was involved in but it was state-of-the-art at the time 
and I was invited by the um, Jet Propulsion Lab in Pasadena and the Johnson Space Center in Houston to um, demonstrate this mechanical hand to the extravehicular activity group. There was a, another project called the Extended Arm, uh, which in fact extends my human arm to primate proportions. Uh, that was an 11 degree of freedom manipulator and I could actuate that producing a sort of a, a choreography of finger and wrist rotation uh, movements. Um, so the sensors on my left arm, which was involuntarily moving, uh, generating uh, the different uh, sounds uh, in that acoustical landscape, um, augmented by the sounds of the compressed air and the clicking sounds of the fingers from the 11 degree of freedom extended arm. <laughs> so it was a kind of a split physiology. On the left side, voltage in to actuate my, my left arm, voltage out to control uh, 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 a mechanism. Amazing. Stellark, <laughs> thank you very much. That was the amazing Stellark with his infectious and unique laugh. If you're in Sydney, you can interact with his articulated head installation at the Powerhouse Museum. Stellark's website is stellark, that's S-T-E-L-A-R-C dot O-R-G, where you can find videos and photographs and explanations of Stellark's art. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life. And that's all from us this time on Diffusion. You can send email to diffusion at 2SCR.com. That's diffusion at 2SCR.com. And tell us your thoughts and stories. If you'd like to be on radio and you live in Sydney, we need more volunteers on Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, diffusionradio.com. That's diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the program was Therese Chen. I produced Diffusion in the studios of 2SCR in Sydney. And Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Looking at the URL, the first thing that sticks out is the colon. And how about a slashing or cutting sound for the slashes? To complete the experience, we might throw in the HTTP and maybe some kind of download sound www.diffusionradio.com Lachlan Watmore on guitar